You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week nine of the study Identity Theft, entitled Worshipper, Shining Brightly in the Darkness. Father, thank you so much for these ladies. Thank you for the prayers that they have lifted up. Thank you for being who you are and for allowing us the wonderful privilege to come together to learn and also to worship you. I just pray that our time today would be well spent, that uh, my words would be your words, and that we would grow together. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here is our verse one more time. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And that's from Luke 4, 8. So I struggled a bit with the content for this lesson. Um, and because of that, I'm going to switch around the order that we usually have followed from the book. I'm beginning with truth rather than the theft and the lie. And it's just based on my simple desire to more fully understand the word worshiper a noun. And in order to do that, I needed to think a little bit more in depth about the word worship, which is used both as a noun and a verb. The word worship or worshiper, it sounds fairly simple to you. We read it in scripture and we say it all the time. It's just ingrained in who we are. We use the word regularly. Also, we frequently combine the word worship with the word praise. Um, as does this week's author, Lindy, Lindsay Carlson. So I focused on both words as they are related and an integral part to, to who we are as Christians. So what are the similarities and differences between the two? Lindsay pretty much uses the terms interchangeably with little differentiation. And so I'd like to expand on that and distill some highlights of what I discovered from a variety of sources. Uh, first, if you attend LEFC, then you note that each week, Someone on our worship team reminds us all that we worship in several ways, right? Our singing, our giving, reading and meditation on scripture, uh, prayer, communion, including in serving and others, all those things and more. Um, and before I go any farther, we have several gifted ladies right in our presence here today who are incredible at sharing their gifts of music with people and have been doing it on our worship team and other choirs, singing I don't even know how many places. So let me just preface everything we're going to say today by thanking you uh, who sing and who share that gift with us here and in other places. I'm guessing that every one of you's had an experience, more than one experience, where someone's music, someone's singing has just spoken to you, has just, just opened the doors and just the Holy Spirit just comes through from that music. So I just want to thank you, all of you who, who do that for us. And what we're going to do today is not in any way dissecting how a worship team works. We're not going in that direction at all. But understanding what God desires of us and how we can reflect his glory through our praise and worship, whatever form that might take. So let's begin with praise. Praise is a joyful recounting of all God has done for us, and it's closely interwoven with thanksgiving as we offer back to God appreciation for his mighty works on our behalf. Psalm 69.30 says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. And even the angels and the heavenly hosts are commanded to praise the Lord. 
And that is also found in scripture through singing and shouting and dancing and instruments. So there's not just one route even for the angels. They have diverse methods to praise the Lord. And then, there we go. Um, Luke 14, excuse me, Luke 19:40 tells us, and yet some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replied, I tell you, if these stop speaking, the stones will cry out. When we praise Jesus, there is, um, it will always happen regardless. And God invites praise of all kinds from his creation. God is worthy of praise. And it can be done alone or corporately. I went in to find some Hebrew words, because I love words, in case you hadn't figured that out yet. Uh, and I found many that were attributed to praise. But as I began to look them up and look up the meanings and discover more about them, I found out that really um, they apply to praise and worship. So you can't always tease those apart. I'm going to try for pronunciation, but just listen to the different components of what would make up praise and worship. Barak, to kneel and bless God as an act of adoration, implies a continual conscious giving place to God to be attuned to his presence. Yada, to throw out. We heard about that in a sermon a few months back because I remember Pastor Tony talking about yada, 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 right? Uh, to throw out, to worship an extended hand. Karar, to dance. Halal, the root for our word of hallelujah. It means to rave about and to boast and to celebrate or be clamorously foolish. Um, the literal translation is to spin like a top. Shabach, a shout or command to address in a loud tone. Taka, to clap hands. Toda, same root as yada, but literally means an extension of hands in adoration. Zamar, to touch strings or play an instrument in worship. And Tahila, Hila, I don't know how you pronounce it, to sing a spontaneous extemporaneous song. This is the praise described by John in Revelation. So all of those ways that appear in scripture, all of those words that really mean praise and worship. So praise can be used properly in many other instances, however, not referencing God at all. That word praise, uh, how many of you here could identify with praising the three-year-old who finally made it to the potty on time? So that was an appropriate use of that word praise. So praise can be used for uh, an athlete or a child who achieves a goal or whatever, whatever might happen. We praise other people and that's an acceptable use of that word. So praise doesn't really require anything of us other than to observe and to, to comment. It's merely the truthful acknowledgement, the lavish encouragement or recognition of an act of another. And since God has innumerable righteous and wonderful deeds he therefore is worthy of our praise we can praise people and we can praise God Psalm 18 3 says I call upon oh Siri no no <laughs> take my watch off I didn't say anything that sounded like Siri did I no Psalm 18.3 says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So let's move on to worship. The Hebrew word, one Hebrew word for worship is shaha, 
I like to practice that. I'm not real good at it, but I always like to say those words. Um, and it means to bow down, to lower yourself. Worship is humbling ourselves before a holy God. It's surrendering, surrendering our entire lives to him. Um, then Strong's 4352 Greek is proskuneo, and that means bowing down, a whole heart posture. And then we move to Old English, up a few centuries, and W-E-A-R-T-H was the word that meant worth, and then sip, which was ship, and the interpretation of those in Old English was a quality or condition. So the quality or condition of being worthy, and God has that quality or condition of being worthy, therefore we worship him. To worship something is to prize it above everything else, to honor it as the thing of highest importance and to act accordingly. True worship is directed only to God. How many times does it occur in scripture? I found a range of numbers from 102 to 256. So I think that's accounting for different translations and different forms of the word. The, the fact of the matter is the number probably isn't as important as it's there. It's, it permeates scripture, that concept of worshiping God. And worship is exemplified by humility and surrender, an attitude of the heart, relationship, an expression of adoration and reverence reserved only for God, a lifestyle, and we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, says Psalm 29. Praise and worship are part of the same continuum. And worship is more than what you do, it's a way of life, correct? <clears throat> Present yourselves a living, living sacrifice from Romans 12, 1 to 2. So how do we worship? Well, these are a few. We can worship alone or corporately, quietly, reverently, joyfully, adoringly, fearfully, demonstratively, and in worship and truth. And I just kind of put a hold on everything when I got to those words, worship and spirit and truth, because they're very important words. <coughs> John 4.23, in speaking of the woman at the well, speaking to the woman at the well, says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And then he clarified that true worship of God is not tied to a location. She was concerned in that particular situation about whether to worship on the mountain or in the temple. And he made it very clear to her in a very loving way that worship could now come. And you notice that he said, is coming and has now come. It's a process, and we are in the middle of that process, praise God. So true believers living in this church age have been given the unparalleled privilege of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that before in here. So thereby, we're able to approach our Father with all our needs in the name of our Savior Jesus, anytime, any place. So to worship God in spirit is engaging the whole heart, and in truth means properly informed. So it necessarily involves loving him with our heart and soul and mind and strength. Both are required for God-honoring worship. And think about it. 
Spirit without truth would lead to a shallow, overly emotional experience that could be compared almost to a high. And as soon as the emotion's over, when the fervor cools, the worship ends, kind of like the Alka-Seltzer analogy, and then it's done. But truth without spirit could result in a dry, passionless encounter that can easily lead to a form of joyless legalism. In other words, you can understand it here, but if you don't have the spirit part of it, it's incomplete. So both aspects of worship together result in a joyous appreciation of God informed by scripture. The more we know about God, the more we appreciate him. The more we appreciate him, the deeper our worship. And the deeper our worship, God is glorified. God's a spiritual being. To worship in spirit, then, is to do something that is beyond the physical. We don't worship by simply bowing our knees. We worship through a heart posture. And our worship is in line with the worship going on in heaven now and always. So let's just do here. That's the verse I just gave you. Let's do a quick comparison of these two terms. So they're side by side, praise and worship. And the, so what happens is they're, they're different, but they're very, very connected. So things kind of flow from the left to the right. So praise is an expression of approval, and it can be about anyone. True worship is relationship. It's holy and reserved for God alone. Praise is about God, and true <coughs> worship is to God. Praise is opening up and true worship is entering in. Praise is boldly declaring, and true worship is humbly bowing. Praise applauds what God has done, and true worship honors God for who he is. Praise is the hallelujah celebration, and worship is a spiritual relationship, heart-centered posture of life. So you can see how they're inextricably put together, even though they are separate, if that makes sense. Okay, so let's go on to identity theft. So having dug in a bit deeper to the truth of worship, it's now abundantly clear what theft of our identity as a worshiper means, right? He created us to worship. We have an inner need to worship. But if we worship anything or anyone more than our creator, then our identity in Christ has been stolen. It's theft based on lies. Our book has some great examples, and you have some directed questions about those sinful traits in your workbook for discussion today. So I will leave it at that as far as the specifics go. Uh, Lindsay Carlson referred to a sinful desire to be recognized or praised or sought out or worshipped. And sin causes a person to choose to worship self. Isaiah 48.11 says, God will not give his glory to another. So we live in a culture of self. This isn't new. In fact, every generation has had its own approach to self-importance. Although true worship is only for God, anything can be worshipped on the theft and lie side. So we're barraged with messages from all sides, instant access to pictures or concepts of the perfect woman like we talked about a couple weeks ago. And that was physical appearance. But it could be what it is to have, uh, have it all together, whether that's um, a job or an achievement, doesn't really matter. And it's not really much different than when Satan tempted Adam and Eve to be like God. It's just packaged in present-day terms, right? It's still around. <laughs> Did you know that as we sit here, there are those who are working tirelessly around the world to develop variations on the human being? 
striving to develop technologies to preserve life by <laughs> downloading someone's brain to avoid death so it can be transferred into another younger brain or to a robotic <laughs> being or to create a superhuman using artificial intelligence and some alteration of genetic code. Now it could sound like a 21st century parallel to the Nephilim or it could sound like a really bad third-rate science fiction movie, but it's not. It's not. It's a reality. So desiring to be God, that's the catch, and therefore negating any need for a supernatural being. Just as in the garden, just as in the days before Noah, just in the days of Babel or the kings, Good is called evil, and evil is called good. And we're in the days and the birth pangs of our lives. Many mock the Lord, yet he loves them and would have them saved. So identity theft here means the focus shifts from praising and worshiping God to whatever our specific self-image might be. Like so many other things we've read and talked about this semester, it's apt to be subtle and to be heralded as good and successful and accomplished by the world. There's nothing innately wrong with wanting to accomplish goals. The problem's when they become our focus of worship. We need to be aware of it because it just slips in without being noticed. Like when you go to the beach and you come home and all of a sudden there's sand all over the kitchen floor. You know what I'm saying? It sneaks in. Culture changes across time and space, but sin is still here and the trajectory <laughs> of our worship can take that same downward path unless we guard it intentionally and focus on our worship. God's unchanging, he's the same God, he's the Alpha and Omega. There's no time, no change of priorities. He wants our praise and worship. Lindsay summed it up succinctly when she finished this section with the words, you are not the glorious one worthy of all praise and honor. So let's go to transformation. We're called to play a role, to be active in declaring God's glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. And we're created to be proclamation people. As followers of Christ, our lives are intended to advertise with awesome and overwhelmingly extraordinary grace of God. Upon salvation, the sinner, pardoned by God, redeemed by Christ, and led by the Spirit of God himself, becomes a living, breathing announcement of the glorious splendors of the triune God. To truly worship God, we must let go of our self-worship. We must be willing to humble ourselves before God, surrender every part of our lives to his control, and adore him for who he is not just what he's done. Worship is a lifestyle, not an occasional activity. And Romans 12, one and two, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I want to just pop back to that phrase, this is your true and proper worship. Several different uh, translations I, I checked, and it goes from your true and proper worship, your spiritual act of worship, your reasonable service, your spiritual service of worship, which is your spiritual worship, and Amplified said, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. It's very precious, it's very precious, this spiritual worship, this service, that we are allowed to do that, that we have the free will to make that decision and do that. 
So we worship individually your life and time with him, as well as reflecting him to those around you and all that it incorporates. And corporately, it's not about how many instruments or the sound system or the lighting. It truly is about the heart. I think that's why when I sit here on Sunday mornings at our LEFC and I see the worship in the eyes of those who are singing, and I, that to me is just so special and precious. Say that fast three times. It's not, yeah. In the other direction, if you're up on stage looking out at the congregation, Seeing the congregation's connection with the worship is just the best thing. You see this person raising their hand. You see this person just heartfelt. It's wonderful. It's amazing. So isn't that wonderful that the Holy Spirit gives us that, that connection? And I don't often think about that, but of course you see everyone, and you can hear the music coming back at you, especially when the instruments go down, right? Yeah. What a gift that is that he gives us. I once uh, t was talking to a friend about just the act of raising hands, and, and he said, <laughs> I raise my hands a lot. Number one, because I feel like I want to and I feel like the Lord's asking me to, but also when I get to heaven, I want to be really practiced up. <laughs> and I like that. I like that a lot. I want to be practiced up. <laughs> so thank you for that. So God commands us to worship. It's living out the composite woven together, praise, honor, and worship him. And then um, our chapter talks about the light shining. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 to 6. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And God said in Genesis, let there be light, and there was light. So as I'm thinking through all of the, all of the components of praise and worship and what that means and how much we adore him, and then what he wants us to do is reflect. So if we line up vertically with him, if we, if we endeavor to live that lifestyle of worship, then automatically the light shines out horizontally from us. And I just think that's such a precious gift that he's given us to be able to reflect his light. So um, Lindsay in the book went on to say, uh, we cannot simultaneously worship both God and self. But if we have this ingrained in us, then we can just sort of it shines. It just shines. Even when you're not aware of it, it shines. So let's go into your table time, and we'll stop at about um, 10.35. I have some music I'd like to uh, play for you at the end, and then I would like us to just be able to have a few minutes here just for some personal quiet worship time. So we'll go ahead with your, with your tables. Okay, ladies. So um, I have... Two pieces of music, and here's what I'd like to do. This first little one I'm going to play for you. I'd like you to just kind of look at the screen and think about what's being said. I never had seen this little girl before, and I never heard this song before. But it fit with what we were talking about today. And I'd like you to just kind of think about that and maybe slow yourself down a little bit. Then I have one more that I'm going to put on that will be familiar to you. But after this first one's over, I'd like you to just kind of where you are, just Close your eyes if you want to, listen to the music. Just take a couple of minutes and worship God from your heart. 
Uh, everybody has a place to go when we're done. Everybody's probably got a list of things you need to do today. Uh, everybody's got plans. But if we can just take a little segment of time together and do that, um, I think that that would be pleasing to God and it would help us to just have that moment uh, together to worship silently at the tables. So let me show you um, this first song. And why is that still up there? I'm a little confused. Let's see. I know why. I gotta get rid of this. Okay, here we go. beautiful. I love everything about that. So I'm just going to put on one more. What I'd like you to ask you to do is just spend some time at your table, close your eyes, bow your head, listen to this song. Uh, we'll just take three or four minutes, just worship, just reach out to God, and then I'll just pray and we'll, when we'll be done.
Father, we just thank you so much. Um, we are the sheep of your pasture, and we come to you with all our imperfections, and you're there with open arms. And we just worship you, and we thank you for that, Lord. We just long to spend time with you, and we thank you for the moments that we have together and alone to worship you. And please help us, Lord, to let our lights shine. I ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.